Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast with your host, Mr. Laz Michaelides and Felipe Amarim on the screen opposite me. How are you doing, brother? All good, brother, and you? Yeah, Hello, very well, everyone. thank you, very well. Um, yeah, welcome back. We're doing a topical discussion episode this time around. You know we do a couple of them uh, every year where we, we, we sort of take a break from doing some albums and band discussions and we uh, get down to the nitty-gritty stuff that musicians talk about in the back of a tour van. Um, so uh, this, is actually, this subject was brought up by Felipe. So Felipe, do you want to sort of outline the, the debate and the topic for us? Exactly, I will. But uh, I'm going to start by telling the, the main reason why sometimes we don't discuss albums in depth and we go just to a generic topic is when we are way too tired to prepare something or or, or when I have a massive hangover, which is not the case today. Uh, although uh, there's there's a lack of coffee in my house, so it's it's a nightmare. What a catastrophe. So I'm drinking water. Right? It's, nothing to do, it's nothing to do with, with hangover. Um, so... Yeah, my idea was to talk about live albums, right, and how they compare to studio albums, you know. Uh, and and it raises the question, actually, which I'm going to ask you this. Okay. Why would someone record a live album? Because hmm. the songs are available. The songs yeah. are available, right? You can, you know, especially nowadays with streaming and everything. So why would you go and release something with songs that have already been recorded, and well, I have my I have an answer for that, but I want to hear your answer for that. Yeah. And also, yeah, um, you know, because it's um, you can argue that there's a risk that they're not going to sound as good as the studio ones for technical reasons. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because. I mean, one of my favorite interviews about live music playing is actually from uh, Frank Zappa, who has this fantastic interview that we'll put in the show notes where he's talking about guitar solos and it's during the eighties. And he says, um, this lady says, she asks him about his guitar and, and, and his guitar playing. And he says, well, what I do is very different to everyone else. He says, you go and check out a lot of other musicians and they'll have the, they'll play the same solo every night. And it is just terrific. Like he says, it's in a sarcastic way. He's like, it is just perfect. But for me, he says, I've, what does, what does he say? He says, I've got an imagination. I know roughly how long I have. And then I look at it like a, a blank canvas and I get to decorate it with my imagination with his guitar solos. And he said, depending on the backing band and, and the imagination you have that night, you can do things that would literally seem impossible until they're done on stage. So I love that interview. And that for me sort of tells you about him and his approach to live music because he never played the same solo twice. Um, yeah. And for that reason, it's different each, the, the odd. So do you know what my answer is the audience? The audience is what the difference is. And having an audience there enables you to do certain things. I mean, for the Frank Zappa band, it's a really good one to look at because of the difference, the different stuff they did for their audiences. So each night when they, just before they were walking out to do a show, they they just say a random word and that would be the joke word for tonight. So they honestly like, you know, pencil and they'd sing his song, Bobby Brown. And he'd go, hey there people, I'm Bobby. It should be Brown. But then that night he'd go, Bobby, pencil. And it's just stupid. But it's like this band played together more you know, they played together you know 200 gigs a year they've got to do something to keep it interesting and yeah. keep it fun so the zappa band had their joke and i think that then as you listen to all of his live albums and you hear the different joke word in each show you can hear the audiences start laughing when they say pencil for the tenth time and it just becomes a bit immersive doesn't it yeah exactly <laughs> so that, that that is the 
a, a huge element that makes it uh, uh, that makes the live album completely different. Um, yeah, if you have if you have people in front of you, you don't perform in the same way. You know, yeah. everyone knows that. Every musician who, who ever picked up a guitar or something knows that if someone is in front of you, uh, that that can either scare you or 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 inspire you. Yeah, and um, and some bands they just perform better live than they do in studio. I mean, it's 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 amazing. I don't think I don't think it's an easy task to record a live album, but um, I prefer a live album than a like compilation, like a best of. Or I, I don't know why oh, yeah. someone would. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the very best well, of something. So like, why don't you just release a live album? Because, <laughs> you know. With with the best of, you you're kind of getting it out of context because if you think that the the first song on the best of album, if that was the tenth song of the album it came out on, then maybe yeah. the purpose of it was to end an album. So why is it yeah. at the start? Exactly. Was when you have a live album, the order of the songs. Well, if it reflects what they actually played, because the problem with live albums as well, you can you can just pick one song per gig and do it. You know, and some bands do that. They go on tour, they record about fifty gigs, and then yeah. they're going to pick the best ones. If I'm not wrong, when Pink Floyd recorded Pulse live at Earthquart, mm-hmm. I think they recorded twenty consecutive nights. Something wow. ridiculous like that. They played, that's, that's yeah. Crazy. They played for over two weeks with no breaks, and uh, recorded every single performance. And then the DVD, wow. or at the time it was a VHS, I guess, uh, nineteen ninety four. So the, the 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 live footage and and the uh, the the audio recordings all came from all sorts of different gigs. Same venue, yeah. It was like, okay, we played this song. Uh, we have like twenty versions of this song. Which one is better played? Or at least it reflects a live uh, situation. The one thing about live albums that that might be annoying to to true rock fans is when people go there and edit stuff and change <laughs> stuff. There's a story, but I've I really tried hard to find the the original source of the story, but um, I'm gonna just tell it anyway. So the purples, um, nobody's perfect. Is is a uh, according to Ian Gillen, that's I found that this doesn't do is it's the um it, it it reflects everything that is wrong about deeper <laughs> it makes the album uh, uh well they have an absolute classic live album which made in japan yeah it's amazing amazing uh but nobody's perfect i think it's a great album i love it but there's a story that um richie blackmore went back in studio to fix some of the guitar parts so that's what i don't like about live albums when someone goes there and does something in studio yeah and then they asked Gillen, well, do you want to go and fix some of your vocals? He said, nah, leave it. Nobody's perfect. Well, that's, the, that's why. <laughs> yeah, Brilliant. Almost got that, eh? it's, so, yeah. it's funny because the, the, one of the albums, you sent me an article about the Rolling Stone, uh, the magazine, their best uh, 10 albums. And number nine on that, uh, sorry, live albums. And number nine on that album is The Last Waltz. Um, sorry, number nine on that list is The Last Waltz by the band, which is a personal favourite of mine. Um, but that's also come under scrutiny for having had a lot of um, re-records fixing. and fixing and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, then you ask the question, well, is it live? But something I wanted to ask you about the Pink Floyd and Pulse thing that you mentioned, just going back a bit, is what's your approach and what's your opinion on that? Because if they did 20 consecutive nights at the Earl's Court, 
you'd imagine, and us as live musicians, having gone through this experience of being 20 dates on the road, by the time night 20 comes up, as a band, you are firing on all cylinders. Everything yeah. is sounding great. Little hits and nuances that you're doing on nights 17, 18, 19, you weren't doing on nights one, two, and three. Yeah. You warmed up properly. Your, your 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 body's in gear. It's not like the first night of the tour where you got to get used to doing it again because you haven't toured for three months or whatever. You're in gear and you're firing on all cylinders by night 20. So is there an, an argument for recording 20 consecutive nights? Oh, yeah. Picking the best? That. Or do you think, think they should just record the last gig? <laughs> well, I would just record the last one. Oh, recording just one is a risk, uh, technically speaking, isn't it? Yeah. Because imagine the singer has got a sore throat on the, mm. you know, the last. <laughs> yeah. You know, so this is like, oh, the band is, is the band is on fire. The singer is shit. So it might happen. <laughs> or, or there's one mistake or someone breaks a string in the middle of the song. So you can't use that song. Yeah, so so there, there's many, up. yeah, yeah. So there's many reasons why people would have, uh, also technical stuff. Maybe uh, there was something wrong capturing the audio of the bass in a, and you know, in a particular song or whatever. Uh, I think there's, it's just like when you go in studio and do many takes of a song, so you can choose. You can't stop a show and 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 play the same song three or four times to yeah. make sure you have a good take. So you got, you've yeah. got to take it from different shows. So I understand that. Um, I I like, but I, I prefer when the live album just reflects what the gig was. And I I've been to one of those. So, have you ever been to any any like live album recording yourself last? Um, no, I don't think I have. I went I went and saw one of my favorite metal bands, a band called Bullet for My Valentine. They did an out. They did a live show that was then turned into a video. But it never became an album. So actually, no, I haven't. Have you? So, so I've been to two. Really? Which ones? In this, in the same city, uh, so that I'm, uh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna brag about this now. So I've been to um, um, Rush, um, the albums Russian here, not not okay, a little Portuguese lesson. It's not Russian real. So Russian here, uh, here in the Janeiro, Brazil, and another one with the same name on the title from here, uh, um, Iron Maiden, Rocking Hill. I think the album's called Rocking Hero. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you were there. So I forgot about that. I was there. And that, that's the, be the best. You, you, you're part of that one uh, somehow, Lars. Uh, I am. You were probably yeah. not even born at the time, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I was six so years we, old. <laughs> yeah. So I was there with my brother, and uh, uh, the drummer threw the stick, uh, you know, towards the audience. And everyone went forward to try to, to grab the stick. And he hit a camera. There was a camera moving around, like a like a an arm, yeah. metal arm moving the uh, the camera. And uh, he hit that thing, and it bounced like over the <laughs> over the audience, and 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 hit and hit my brother in the belly. And <laughs> just he grabbed the stick. Incidentally, it's like fuck, I've got the stick. <laughs> Let's leave this place. <laughs> and then we we left. It was right at the end of the gig. And uh, so, yeah, so that, where's that stick now? Well, it was probably one of the best gifts I've ever been gifted from uh, Mr. Philippe yeah. Amory, who gave me the stick from Iron Maiden at Rock in Rio, um, which, yeah, is a very, very important gift because um, Iron Maiden, one of my favorite bands. And, uh, yeah, I got to say thank you to you every time for that because that is an incredible <laughs> gift. You know, I have a stick that was used at that gig. Um, but, but what was it like for you being at those gigs? Did you kind of know 
I, first, I, my first I, question is, I wonder if Iron Maiden knew if they were filming it or if they only they saw it after and they were like, this is really good, we've got to put it out. But did I, it feel like there was more energy there? Did you feel like something special had gone on on both those nights? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I know the story about Rush. I don't know about Iron Maiden. So, but I think they recorded... Well, Iron Maiden was recorded anyway because it was broadcasted live on TV. So they probably oh. had, you know, they had all the audio tracks and the video. And that one, that's what I, I respect about the album. is a show start to finish. No, yeah. I don't think there's any editing or anything like it's It's right. them on stage, one gig. They only played one night at the event. Yeah. And that's that night. And I think all songs were included. Uh, so that is a real live performance. Um, I think the reason why they 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 decided to, to release is because they probably thought, well, when are we going to play for 220,000 people again? <laughs> yeah. I think it's a time where they started trying to limit the amount of people that can go to events because it's dangerous and this and that. And... Um, that was one of the last festivals that I've heard of with that ridiculous amount of public, right? Yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons. Is, is when you see the live footage, it's insane. Yeah. Too it many is. people. Yeah. You can't see me on that one. Um, but <laughs> the Rush album, Russian here, is is also that one. They decided in the middle of the tour. They never been to South America. I, I think actually they never been to Mexico. They were touring and when they they played in Mexico. They were like, wow. Uh, you know, we just had like the this like ridiculous like ticket sales, Mexico, and then when they reached South America, they start they start noticing the audiences were bigger and bigger. <laughs> so they've played as what I've heard, and I've heard that when it was on the bus going to the gig, there's like all those you know, there wasn't like you can Google stuff and find immediately everything, and I didn't yeah. have a smartphone and all that stuff. But people were talking about, oh, I've heard they're going to record the gig. So wow, <laughs> so I've heard that all my way to the gigs. I was really yeah, because you know they they really impressed with the with the numbers of audiences uh, all over South oh. America. So they wanted to have this. Uh, recorded and also the audience were reacting like you know th they were going ballistic every night because they're like they, they never seen those guys before yeah. and so there was a reason they really enjoyed the, the interaction with the audience and they really thought well maybe we're never going to play for that amount of people ever again so we need to record this and they got i think they got a camera crew from canada to join them halfway through the two so they recorded one gig so wow. they've played for 60,000 people in Sao Paulo, and then they played for 45,000 people, I guess, in Rio de Janeiro, where they recorded. Mm. And I think after they finished one of the gigs, I just hired the camera crew, sent them over like immediately because we need to do this. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you understand why a band would like to, to release, record and release a live album. That, that one, again, is a double DVD, I guess. And it's the one show, and I remember the show. Uh, they, they, they just release it as it is, start to finish, which... I'll, I'll take the opportunity to ask you one interesting thing, though. Okay. Uh, Rush, they they do change a few stuff. They actually sometimes they can radically change a song and just play uh, a heavy song as an, an acoustic number. But generally speaking, they're famous for being capable of reproducing live as a three piece all the overdubs and all, all the stuff they play in studio, and it played just like the record. What do you think about bands that sound live exactly like? the record <clears throat> excuse me um well it's interesting you put me on the spot here mm -hmm. i think 
I think aiming to recreate the live sound, this is aiming to recreate the studio sound is a technically impressive feat that I think you can sort of come away, especially with a band like Rush, which is only three of them. Yeah. And, you know, Geddy Lee, isn't he a bit crazy? Doesn't he play the keyboards with his feet whilst he's... Yeah, he, he no, does no. have the... He uh, plays the keyboard with his hands and he does the bass notes with his feet, doesn't he? And sometimes, yeah. And sometimes I think that's the other way around. I think he has some pedals that, that, that yeah. trigger some keyboard chords as well. So sometimes he might be playing the bass mm. and ac- activating some some some, some oh. chords on with his feet. But most of the time... He plays a keyboard and it has an octave uh, pedal. Uh, yeah. Is it a Taurus pedal? I don't know the name well, that, is, oh. that is a special thing to be able to do, especially if you're trying to um, recreate the sound of the album. And with a band like Rush, where every sound has been meticulously chosen to be put in at a time and at a place in the album, I think that's really good. But at the same time, you know, you know as well as I do from touring as a trio with just guitar, bass, vocals and drums, there is a special energy on select nights when even though you are limited in terms of the instruments and the noises that are coming out compared to the album, the energy that three people and then the noise and energy that three people can make on a live show with limited uh, instruments, I suppose, is actually something to behold. And I think there is a special place for hearing songs in a stripped back way. And whether that be, like you said, acoustic guitar, double bass and one snare, or just a three piece with all their equipment, but without the second and third guitars, without the keyboard behind, without the vocal effects to such a degree, you know? So yeah, that's interesting. Um, What do you think about that? Well, I I think like, if if you say like, we just mentioned Pink Floyd, then they would tour as a 10 or 11 piece band. So they get all the extra musicians on stage in order to reproduce every single layer of sound. Yeah. Because the fans expect that, doesn't that? Also, um, I I love a a Dire Straits live album called On The Night. And I think it's a 10 piece band. They they have pedal steel guitar, saxophone, percussion. And it's really cool when people do that. They bring loads of musicians so they can literally reproduce everything that you have. But I prefer when uh, when you just hear a band, like the the actual members of the band with no extra musicians and not necessarily playing perfect, you know, like yeah. playing everything like the record. And I like when the song is slightly faster yeah. or, <laughs> or it's a bit sloppy here and there, but the energy That's is why- there, you know. That's why Made in Japan is such a fantastic live album. There are plenty of times where you can hear Richie Blackmore going for it on a solo. There's and there's, there's I know it's in Highway Star. There's literally a moment where he's he's going he's messed up and it's okay because this is what happens in a live environment and with someone as talented and as competent on the guitar as Richie Blackmore pushing himself to play faster as in because the band is playing faster because they're playing live and I've got no problems with mistakes. I imagine, imagine the quality of the the quality of the monitoring at the time. Could they hear themselves were on stage? You don't know. And it's like, I love it. I love when, when it's not perfect, but obviously good enough for me. It's like they, they can play, they can reproduce. And I like when it's not just like the album because um, just saying that this this idea of playing just like the record, I think if you go to a gig 
and the band plays exactly like the album. That might be impressive, and it wow, they you know as good as the album, yeah, really cool. But if you when you release it as 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 a live album, and you listen back to it, okay, so what's the point then? And if they play exactly <laughs> like studio, then the live experience of being there in front of the band that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, but the listening of an album that sounds like studio, then for me, it's, it's a bit pointless. Without the visuals either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. Maybe, you, yeah some some bands, they, uh, uh, there's a band that I find uh, quite impressive live, uh, Muse. Mm, but yeah. I reckon they use loads of backing tracks. I might be wrong yeah. about it. No, I assume they do. I mean, yeah, <laughs> their the noise is so big that <laughs> despite what we've said, it's actually almost impossible for them to recreate that sound. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah, just exactly. them. I think there's yeah, lots of backing track work you, going on. Where so where do you draw the line with backing tracks and calling it a live gig if they have backing tracks? Oh, it's obviously a hot topic for debate. Um, yeah, I think, I think, my for me personally, I think if you've got things like. I'm even arguing with myself. Um, I, I think a click. I think a click is okay. I'll, I'll accept a click, and I wouldn't have any arguments to say about that. Uh, you know, and not a click that's organised. Not okay. Song intro one, two, three, and then oh, finish no, yeah. song in three, four, five. You know, like that. I don't like that. But if that's just a tempo, just a tempo that you got, that's okay. I'm okay. Yeah. With for for anyone who's not familiar with that, uh, sometimes in some live gigs they require. Uh, backing tracks or any playbacks in general, you would have a uh, click track going through the ears of either the whole band or just the drummer in some yeah. cases, and the band follows the drummer. And so and there's a click, clicks. yeah, literally keeping time for the band. And sometimes that click, as Lars just said, it, it includes information about the song. I've been, yeah. you know, as a pro musician, you play all sorts of gigs and you go through those. Uh, scenarios where oh, the band tells you that's going to be a click track because we have some uh, um, keyboards, uh, you know, pre-recorded and backing vocals and this and that. And then you need to play to the click. And then some of those clicks include like, oh, chorus, two, three, four. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's telling you where the song is going. So come on, man. Uh, yeah, I, I, so like it's, a, it's, I like a loose I, click track. A loose yeah. click. But I, I, I don't, and I'll tell you why. Um, I have, as I said to you, but, you know, being a hired gun for bands and stuff, I don't mind doing whatever people ask me to do, and I'm I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, but I like the imperfection of a live gig, and the yeah. click kills that. You just said that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it kills that because, like, okay, so what's the tempo of the song? I love what what, what uh, Steve Gadd said about that. That's maybe one of the most interesting thing about live albums. The tempos are not the same. Mm. That changes how crucial a tempo is to a song. Some songs, maybe if they were recorded slower, they wouldn't be hits. You never yeah. know, or maybe faster, or whatever. Uh, but you know, uh, Steve Gadd, one of one of my favorite drummers, also he, he played with uh, Simon Garfunkel, Eric Clapton, you know, you name it. He played with everyone. Uh, but he said the right tempo for a song is the tempo I decided that song should be played on that specific night. He said something like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And, yeah, that's you know, very cool. Like, and that's it. Cause, and uh, I've there's a really cool uh, BBC interview with uh, um, uh, Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters uh, quite a few years ago. And and it, it's talking about the live experience. And it, it says, well, sometimes we 
you know, it might be jet lagged or might be uh, a hangover or whatever, and the song's going to feel a bit slower, and that's how we're going to play it. Yeah. And and he said that's 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 what it is. Some days you're more excited and you speed up. Yeah. And <laughs> and that that's part of the the human experience of a live gig, and I'm. Uh, that's one of the points. Okay, it's going to be kind of a Philippe unleashed here, <laughs> because because I, I, that's one of the things I usually oppose to like heavily, which is if you have a single thing coming out of the speakers that is pre-recorded, you're not playing a live show. I'm sorry, mm. that's not live. Yeah, no, because that's, 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 in all, yeah. in order to play, let's say and. Because I, the point is, I don't think it's fair to the audience to say live when you go there and you have loads of backing tracks. Because, oh, there's a keyboard here and there. All right, but if you have a keyboard as a backing track, who's going to guarantee there's no vocals to be recorded? Yeah, backing vocals. And people, maybe, yeah, and lead vocals. Wow. Yeah. You think only you think only like Britney Spears does that. But there's, you know, there's there's some rock musicians out there. You guys know who you are. There's some rock musicians out there, rock musicians, who have pre-recorded lead vocals, backing yeah. vocals, uh, guitars. So once you add one element of that, it's not live for me anymore. That you can say it's a mix of live and studio. Yeah. So it's a playback with a band. Yeah. Being really harsh here, but that's how I see it. No, I hear what you're saying for sure. And I think um, one comment I had to make about earlier was about the speed um, of the song <laughs> is that Metallica in the early 90s, they were on fire. Um, they just released the Black Album and they would play about 30 songs per show because every song was just sped up so much. And I think it was actually a testament to their musicianship and their playing that they were able to sort of perform every night so much faster and keep the songs sounding good and sounding tight. Um, but in, in regards to what you just said, uh, another point that I've brought up or that I'm thinking of is, isn't it funny that when we say live albums, 99 times out of 100, you're going to reference a rock band, not a pop, yeah. not a pop artist. Not that, a, what? Uh, I mean, jazz, I suppose jazz generally is. Jazz, a, yeah. Because well. that's sort of improvised, you know. I wouldn't imagine, I wouldn't ever have imagined sort of Charlie Parker sitting in a studio saying, no, we need to do this section again. You no, know, no, no, no. Most, think... most jazz bands were recorded like with no overdubs. So that's kind you just, of you just go yeah. and play. It's so, so we're kind of eliminating jazz. Yeah. We're eliminating jazz from yeah. this discussion because it generally is yeah. recorded live, right? So isn't it interesting that in modern popular music, rock and metal do a lot of live albums, but pop doesn't necessarily. Isn't it because there's nothing uh to be changed, so like, yeah, exactly. well, yeah, it's like, what, what do you do with a pop band live? Like, you know, you're going to extend the guitar solo. It's not usually what the audiences are looking for, and that's what we're I, saying that, that the audiences of rock and metal want something yeah. maybe not different, but maybe they want the energy that they're hearing from the show. Um, and I, past I think, time. yeah, I think that's just there's an interesting point about record labels as well. Uh, they nowadays the music industry is pushing really hard for perfection and yeah. you know uh, technical perfection in, in, in recording so everything is fixed yeah and i think that's like uh, it's one of the most boring things about uh, modern albums 
especially pop music, it's like everything's so fixed to a point. You think, oh, just ask a machine to do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So come on, uh, most, most are, I, I, that's why I kind of like AI because maybe AI is going to replace all those boring bands. Just, just <laughs> ask a computer to generate their songs is the same thing anyway. There you go. Uh, but uh, the, the, the thing is, labels, they would push for that level of perfection. So why would a label want a live album from a band if that's going to expose the imperfections? Mm-hmm. And I think in the you know a rock audience likes a live album. Yeah, uh, that's why they sell loads, right? Mm-hmm. If we if, if if we consider the, uh, you know, um, is it Kiss Alive? I don't remember which one. Yeah, yeah, sold, yeah. yeah sold millions, and you have uh, uh, Frampton comes alive. You have uh, Eric Clapton unplugged. All those live albums yeah. are, are, are best selling. So the the the. The, the labels have a reason to, to release a, a, a live album by a rock band, but I don't think they have, if it's a pop band, also the songs are not going to change, are they? Mm. Very good point. Um, is there anything else you want to say about live albums before we wrap up this episode? Because what we're going to uh, do, guys, is we're going to... So we've had the discussion about live albums in this one. Next episode, we're going to talk about studio albums, and then we're going to sort of give our opinion at the end. So is there anything else you want to add? Yes, uh, the best-selling live album of all times. I found this information, and most people don't know that what it is. There's there's a there's a weird thing about uh, when it's a double album. Some of the official numbers count as two album sales. Oh, so, right, because you've sold two vinyls. Yeah, it's a bit so. But the actual just a album, you know, that sold. Uh, more, I don't know the number, but it's Eric Clapton unplugged. Oh, and, so because and maybe other previously released live albums, they'd have been sold, but the numbers are wrong because there's two vinyls. Well, exactly. Well, so 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 that's what I've you know. Uh, we, you can put the the link to the article, you know, as you do. That's very interesting. Episode. There's yeah, an interesting episode about it. So, and how shocking is that information, right? It seems a bit cheap, isn't it? It wasn't that, but, but it's, it's like using a backing track. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but how shocking is that Eric Clapton's Unplugged is yeah is the best selling live album or rock album? I think best selling live album of all times, and it's not an album that people talk much about. But not in the live, yeah. You're okay, right. here's a here's an interesting point. The last thing I want to say is, um, Unplugged albums are definitely a good excuse to re- to record an album because they they uh, reflect a, a huge change in arrangements and and, mm. and how it performs yeah exactly if you listen to to layla that clapton i think originally recorded with uh, derek and the dominoes his first solo album not like uh not released as a solo album but as a band mm. and you listen to layla from that album and you listen to um the, the acoustic version it's a completely different song really it's, and it's and I like both versions, so that is a reason for you to record something. Like I'm, I'm just like not playing. You know, everyone knows me as a as an electric guitar player. I'm playing acoustic guitar for a whole gig, and that's what it is. Yeah. So why not? That's you know, exactly. uh, unplugged albums could could be an entirely uh, complete episode if you want to. <laughs> Fantastic yeah. stuff. All right, well, we'll finish up there for today. Join us again in two weeks, guys. We'll be going to finish this discussion, but we're going to have a little emphasis on studio albums for a bit, and then we're going to come to our conclusions so thank you for joining us again uh felipe tell them where they can find us you can find us on the internet that's it and thank you for joining us guys keep on rocking everyone as usual long live rock and roll